three. That's the number of letters in Mayor Adams' favorite mantra, GSD, get stuff done. And there is no shortage of stuff to do. The mayor has released many, many plans. Rebuild, Renew, Reinvent, a blueprint for New York City's economic recovery, Care Community Action, Mental Health Plan for NYC, Better Contract for New York, Blueprint to End Gun Violence, New New York, Making New York Work for Everyone, which he released with the governor, City of Yes, and Housing Our Neighbors, just to mention a few. But plans are just the first step. The real impact is in the implementation. I'm Andrew Ryan, the president of the Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us for this episode of What's the Data Point, which will again feature a recording of one of our live events. Today we hear from New York City's first Deputy Mayor, Sheena Wright. She joins us at a crucial time, with the economy still rocky and New York being a national leader of out-migration. Still, there are reasons to be optimistic. Tourism is back, the pandemic has actually forced us to think more creatively, and we still love NYC. Sheena Wright has been first deputy mayor since January 7th and was deputy mayor for strategic initiatives since the beginning of this administration. She actually helped form this administration, having been transition chair for mayor-elect Adams. Previously, she was president and CEO of United Way of New York City and president and CEO of the Abyssinian Development Corporation. There is more, but I'll stop again. So please listen as Sheena discusses the administration's GSD management approach, the city budget, the state budget, how the mayor and governor align on housing, and much, much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And until next time, take care, New York. So, um, welcome. Thank you. I've seen you twice you. this week. Yes, so this is a good week. And as we, well, for, for me. me. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet, thank you. Um, and, you know, as, as you walked in, um, one of our trustees, uh, who's been around the city for a year or two, um, mentioned that it's the most open administration um, that, that this person has ever seen. And you guys were all out and about. Yes. Um, we'll talk about how you actually get things done when you're all out and about. Mm -hmm. That's part of the conversation. But um, can we start out? You know, is this your first tour in government? My first tour, yes. So you've been here for 15 months. You walk in the door either when you walked into the door of City Hall uh, in, in this or the last job or in, in this job. Can you just lightning roundish? what was the most pleasant surprise? Like, hey, there's good news that I didn't realize. And what was the most disheartening thing? Like, oh, this is really kind of <laughs> crappy. Ooh. Uh, yeah, it's weird. The thing that came to my mind, what's the thing that was kind of crappy was the woman's bathroom. I'm sorry. <laughs> women in City Hall now, and so I think there was always more attention paid to the men's room than the women's room, but we, we spruced it up a bit. Um, yes, that, that was a major right. women's history <laughs> that's month? That's right, that's right. Uh, you know, but, I, you know, it's funny, I became a first deputy mayor on my birthday, uh, so this was a, it was oh. a great gift, but walking in uh, to City Hall um, on January 1st, 2022, it, it, it's just an enormous privilege uh, I think you realize when you when you sit in the in these seats, just the scale of the city. You know, there's all the data and statistics. It's nine million people. You know, if Brooklyn would be what the fourth largest city, NYCHA would be the 33rd largest city. And you think about that, but it's not until you're in the seat, and many people have been in in these seats, you appreciate the scale, uh, the diversity, the 200 languages that are spoken. Uh, you know, the the richness. And, and, and all of those things, but it also, that connected to that is the impact that you can have. 
you literally feel like you can change the world, right? If you can do something that moves the needle for millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people, it really has this huge ripple effect, and that is really a privilege. It's exciting. Yeah, no, I remember when I came back to government at one point, like walking up the steps of City Hall and just yes. feeling the ma majesty. Right, yes. It, it's, it's amazing. So you've been pretty active. Yes. You all. Oh, by the way, it's March 30th. More important, one more day to the end of the city, state fiscal year or one more day of the Women's History Month? Uh, yes, I think that Women's History Month will be the winner of that. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. I might be more optimistic about the future of women than the future of the state budget, but, you know, <laughs> I, hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. So let's talk first, as the mayor often does, and you all often do, about getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. um, GSD about management. Because the first thing you have to do is figure out what you want to get done. And there's been no shortage of plans right. released by the administration. That's the first step. I'm just mentioning a couple. Rebuild, renew, reinvent, the blueprint for New York City's economic recovery, care, community action, mental health plan, a better contract for New York. We mentioned about the nonprofits. Blueprint to end gun violence. New New York, making New York work for everyone with the governor. Mm -hmm. A rarity, as we know. Yeah. And city of yes. Love mm -hmm. that word. Love that action. Yes. Um, housing our neighbors. But the impact. They always say the proof is in the pudding, but I really don't know what that means. So the impact is in the implementation, in the right. management. So, you know, we looked at these plans, and a lot of them have good goals, good directions, but not a lot have implementation benchmarks or metrics on, you know, how you're going to both, once you get these things up and running, the contract, the regulation, the zoning change, how you're going to know it's working and doing that. What is your management strategy and structure to actually get these things done, both the initiatives and managing the agencies? Well, and this is a big part of, of the role that I play as first deputy mayor. Um, we are a very data-driven organization. And so there are a lot of the plans have external strategies, but also very, very focused tactics. I mean, these are action plans. And internally, we do have milestones, key performance indicators. Uh, we are measuring uh, every month, looking at our progress against goals. Uh, we have a weekly meeting of the senior leadership team that I bring together where we're actually looking at the data and, and meeting with the mayor. Uh, he's looking at several spreadsheets. He is a spreadsheet guy uh, every single day to figure out, you know, are, how are we doing? Are we winning the week? Are we losing the week on all of these variety of plans? And it's also uh, we come together to, to make changes because, you know, we had all these wonderful plans and strategies, right, during the transition. And as Mike Tyson famously said, you have a great plan until you get in the ring, and then you get hit, right? And so we got hit. We got hit with, you know, uh, murder rising. Thankfully, it's down almost 24%. We got hit with a once-in-a-generation fire. We got hit with asylum seekers. And so you also have to, these are living things, and, and you have to adjust and pivot. And so one example of that is the child care uh, blueprint, which we, we talked about, and it's, it's 19 very specific strategies. It is over a two-year period, and we were, had a goal to touch 41,000 more families. To date, we've cleared 35,000 um, people who were on a wait list for, for, housing, uh, for child care vouchers. Uh, we've reduced the cost of care. We were able to get $4 billion from the state. Uh, it, we were able to pass a tax credit so that private sector employers could, um, or, or owners could uh, have more childcare seats in communities. So very, very, very tangible results across every single plan, and we're looking at it every day. But the other thing, uh, and we talked a little bit about this when, when I came into the room, 
and this sense that we're accessible, we're out in the community, you can very easily get stuck in an ivory tower of City Hall, right? And just come up with your brilliant ideas, and, you know, and policies and, and, and implementation plans. But if you are not out in community talking to people, you know, not just reading your reports, but sitting down and talking to you and saying, mm -hmm. well, what do you think about this, Andrew? You know, how are we doing? What do we need to be doing differently? Being engaged and on the ground, uh, you have to have that balance. I like to say that the mayor is not a parlor general, right? You don't sit in the parlor and just map out and send the troops in. You've got to be in, leading from the front, and that's what this administration is doing. It is wonderful, and he is accessible, and, and out there we get to see him um, all the time, and that's wonderful, and he is very articulate about and passionate, mm -hmm. and we need that. New Yorkers need, need that. They like that kind of stuff. Um, they also like the data. Mm -hmm. um, are you planning to make some of those data more public so that we in the outside and the public really more generally, no offense to CBC, but the public generally can look at what's happening, understand the progress, understand what's not working and hold you accountable? Absolutely. And the mayor's management report is that public facing uh, mechanism to measure progress against goals. Mm -hmm. And so every administration uh, tweaks those indicators, right. right? You can have like so many indicators that it, none of it means anything, right? There are 2,000 of them now. Mm -hmm. And we are refining based on the plans and strategies and tactics that we've put in place exactly what is the target, what are we trying to accomplish and achieve, and how we will hold ourselves accountable and be held accountable by the general public. So that is showing up in the MMR and will continue to show up in the MMR. That's fantastic. The MMR was a leader in public accountability and reporting when it happened. It has become, over time, a mediocre document that sits on a shelf exactly. that people don't use. It should be the same indicators you use. The public exactly. should be looking. It shouldn't be disjointed. And agencies often look at it like, oh, we'll send that up, and then we'll do our other job. That's right. So please al align those. But here's the thing. Data in itself. So there, we talked about two legs of school. Data, public feedback, and you can mm -hmm. do surveys and talk and those kind of things. But also, you need an accountability, from our point of view, you need an accountability process where leaders and managers are talking with the middle manager, so city hall with the commissioners, commissioners with their staff. You need a process, because without that, you don't identify problems, solve problems, celebrate successes, expand those programs, yeah. hold people accountable. Recently, there was a hot seat meeting at the Department yes. of Education. Yes. And, and so it was that kind of thing. Yes. Do you have a structure for that? Are you going to spin that out to other agencies so there are those discussions, are some looking at those same data, but a process to actually solve those problems? Absolutely. I would say that we have a very, very different approach uh, to, to executing and managing. One of the things that uh, the mayor said coming in the door is that we have to break down the silos. If everyone is just in their little silo thinking about kind of their portfolio or their agency, we will not be successful, right? The sum is, you know, if you is more than the, the parts, the whole, whatever the quote is, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. And so all of these plans have been across deputy mayor portfolios, mm -hmm. agencies coming together to collaboratively plan. And yes, there is actually a process that we use to do that. The next part is how do you align action? How do you make sure that all of these different parts of the whole are together, uh, sharing data, learning together? 
Um, you know, CompStat was a revolutionary uh, concept, and it was really about accountability, um, but also bringing everybody in the room to learn together. It was about continuous improvement as well. And so, you know, there were some good, bad things to CompStat as well, but, you know, the the, some of the principles are, are really strong. So it, it, that kind of conversation and accountability is showing up in different places. So the New York City Public Schools, the chancellor has created an EduStat where every superintendent comes and they talk about what's happening in your, in your district. How are, how, are, how are the reading scores? What are you doing? What do you need to be doing? And they're getting feedback from not just their colleagues, but other people in the field, teachers, you know, community members. The NYPD just launched community ComStat. It just launched it a couple of weeks ago with Commissioner Sewell, where the community gets to come in and look at the data in their community and offer recommendations and solutions, and also hold the, that precinct accountable. So those systems and structures are really, really important, and, and we are doing things, I think, in ways that have never been done before. Well, wonderful. We look forward to seeing all the agencies. I did at the health department, and one of the things I heard when I started is, this is public health. We are not a paramilitary organization, but you can do it in different organizations. Absolutely. It's still the same framework. Speaking of one, let's get specific staffing. Mm -hmm. Staffing, we consider at CBC a management issue. There are 23,000 vacancies after the vacancy reduction. So right. there's, it's not that there aren't budgeted vacancies. It's been a challenge to hire, both because city processes are kind of kludgy as it is, um, and then, of course, it's a heck of a labor market. Are you making progress? How have you improved that? I saw a new memo from DCAS about OMB approvals. Are we making progress on the staffing? We are making progress, and, and I do want to say, obviously, in the context of, of, of a labor issue generally, I mean, it, it, you know, I, and people are not saying the term anymore, the great resignation, right? I mean, every industry was experiencing. I feel like when we came out of COVID, it was like the COVID clarity. People said, what am I doing with my life? Why am I, why am I here? So you what, jumped right I into City Hall because right, yes. you knew. Um, but so we, we experienced that as well. And our vacancy rate, um, it, you know, 24,000 jobs, but it's 8%. And, and a lot of the you know, city council, the controller, it's like double digits, you know, in other industries. But it is, it is it's something that we take very seriously and we're focused on. So we, we break it down. One of the big issues is recruitment. Um, and really appreciating that we have to really do an active job in recruiting and, and as you said, making it easier to onboard people and being very strategic about recruitment. We're 300,000 employees. Everything from the school crossing guard to the software engineer to the nurse to the teacher to the police officer, it's not you know one company that produces one particular thing. It is, it's, it's a significant it's a diversity, right? And so the recruiting strategies and the retention strategies are going to look different. Mm -hmm. And I know there was a lot of, you know, you guys should just do hybrid work. Again, we are 300,000 uh, employees. We have um, unions uh, that represent many of our employees. So you can't just uh, snap your finger and make the changes. You have to talk to the unions. You have to talk to all those things. But I'm really excited that we have a, a really uh, focused plan that's looking at recruitment, retention, career pathing. The civil service process is really challenging. Um, and a lot of that is driven by the state. I mean, that's one of the things you asked me at the beginning that surprised me. The, the control that the state has over just basic functions, like <laughs> our speed cameras, we had to get permission from the state to just manage our own speed cameras on our streets. 
So a lot of these things are very kind of nuanced, but we do have a plan to address it. And so uh, in the next, by the end of this calendar year, we're really hoping to see some changes. That's fantastic, important, because if you don't have good people, services can't be it's delivered everything. and that's, that's the job. I would respectfully suggest that for lack of a better word, an analysis and audit of every step in the process and how long it takes. Yes. And I did some of this when I was at the health board. Really would identify probably even more problems than you know. Yes. As, as that, as that. So think about that really end to end because everyone always kind of looks at the middle. Yes. Not the beginning. And then, and, and by end, it means, oh, I got a job offer, I accept a job, and I'm not onboarding for two months. Have more During that time, someone's going to snap you up. That's right. Right. No, um, we love that. Yeah. You know, that whole business process uh, yeah. mapping, we love yeah. it. So speaking of the budget, because we're mm. the budget commission, and it's budget yeah. time. So on paper, you have three to six billion dollar budget gaps. Um, but as you know, our estimate is that's basically half the half um, the thing, the fiscal challenge you're up against for getting the economy in a potential recession. You have the labor contract that let's call the DC 37 tentative agreement a pattern. Um, it's another four billion recurring. Mm -hmm. You have the state and uh, federal and, and city fiscal cliffs recurring programs that are with one-time money, including federal COVID aid. You have chronically underbudgeted. This is not new to this administration. Carter cases at education, uniformed overtime. We look at that as a $12 billion budget gap a couple years out, and with labor contracts, $8 billion for this and next year that is not in the budget thus far. What's the plan to pay for those labor contracts? It's not easy. And then on top of that, obviously, we have the cost of the asylum seekers. And all yes, the yes. I was going to the state right? budget soon, but yes. it's all the same yeah, when it comes down all, to your it's budget. It's all the same. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've obviously had some programs to eliminate the gap already, mm -hmm. um, really focused on being very responsible. We've, we've got, uh, you know, our rainy day fund, our reserves uh, that are at historic levels, which was also a lot of fiscal discipline. We were able to upgrade our Fitch um, uh, rating uh, to AAA, uh, which was also a significant feat in the face of those headwinds and really preparing for that because we knew all of those things, right, that you just uh, recounted and more. We've got to stimulate growth and, and make sure that our economy is growing and we, uh, you know, part of the economic uh, blueprint and the work that we've done ha have, has done that uh, in terms of, you know, job growth. We're almost all the way back. Tourism is, is back. These are things that are, are economic drivers to our economy. Um, so we need to, to drive uh, financial growth for the city. And so some of the plans that we put in place to help our small businesses, uh, public safety was huge in, in making sure, you know, the mayor talks about public safety being the prerequisite to prosperity to getting those things done. So trying to really drive revenue and manage expenses. And uh, it's tough when we're in the state budget challenge right now where we are balancing and we have been managed to do that, um, our budget and to have some just unfunded mandates and half a billion dollars here and $300 million there that we have no control over uh, that will really have significant challenge for us as a city. So our budget director, Jacques Shiha, is, is, is really phenomenal. Um, uh, the mayor has made very, very tough choices. I mean, we had eight years where there was no program to eliminate the gap. Um, and to kind of have to reinstate that and have that kind of fiscal discipline, um, you know, takes some doing, and we are doing it. And we've certainly supported I, your both programs to eliminate the gap. You've had two and the vacancy reduction initiative. Mm -hmm. Given the fiscal situation, we've said there should be more and there should be um, productivity. It's interesting. As we talk to people about it, and budget caps are very ethereal. Mm 
you know, oh, you got a future problem, but like, what does that mean? It'll all take care of itself. And you've had these conversations, and you're like, no, it doesn't take care of itself. And what's interesting with the labor contracts is it's very concrete. Mm -hmm. People can understand, oh, 3% raises are going to cost us ultimately $4 billion, and we don't have that is the money that's not in the budget. We have the first, we have the first, you know, point and a quarter, which you guys put away good in the labor reserve, but the rest of it's four billion dollars. We will recommend, so you hear hear it here first, because mm -hmm. you know it's not a surprise here, that there should be a program to eliminate the gap in the exec that actually equals or is greater than that labor contract. Very concrete. Is that something that you would consider because you have that gap, you have that expense? Why not do a, a peg equal to that so that people can understand the effort? Well, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that because you have to also make sure that you're delivering services, right? The garbage needs to be picked up. It's a package The kids deal. need to be educated. Uh, we have a healthcare system that needs to run. All of those kind of basic functions. So it's not just the numbers on the page. And it is the management uh, issue that we are really grappling with. And as you said, Every quarter, we've got to balance our books, right? We we don't we don't we don't we can't print money like you know the federal yeah. government. Um, we uh, and sign our names to it, uh, but we've got to you know we've got to uh, we've got to balance it. And and these are real services and, and issues that we have to make sure that we're also delivering while um, having a, a level of fiscal responsibility. Yeah, which is you know it's. Part is management, part is prioritization, because you can't right. do everything for everyone. But let's go up the throughway to Albany for a second. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we, have, we actually have a governor and a mayor who agree on some things and talk personally, and their administrations talk. Good stuff. Great stuff. One of the agreements, what's really good, is about housing, not only because it's, a necessary, uh, it's necessary, but there are a lot of things you can do, because the enemy's us. It, that doesn't cost a lot of money. We need to free ourselves up. But uh, you know, so there's the lifting the FAR cap, Florida area ratio. I know most people have, have spent spent their time. Um, office conversion incentive, housing compact, both ex extending the time for 421A projects that got in under the wire, and really important a 421A successor because we have Innovation Queens with 1,400 affordable units that depend on something being there that's Absolutely. not in law right now. The governor has a great plan. The mayor agrees. Members of the legislature might have some different ideas. What can the city do if, if Albany doesn't come through? It's tough, and, and we really need uh, Albany to come through. And so the kind of advocacy and the push that we need to make throughout this legislative session is, is real. It's significant. Uh, those are, you know, uh, I think six out of the ten things that we have on, on our list, on our collective list, between the mayor and the governor. But we can't grow our economy if we do not have housing, right? We grew, I think it was in the last decade, uh, 500,000 New Yorkers and we only, uh, 500,000 jobs and we only had 100,000 units of housing. It is the crisis. And uh, we have to have incentives, we have to be able to think differently about our commercial buildings. All of those things have to be on the table. So we've been very aggressive with our city of yes, as you said, we've pushed for uh, zoning changes that has really increased the ability to build housing. Um, we are, you know, have our moonshot that we've put out there of a half a million units. We are making it easier and quicker to build. So that's another thing that's on the table in Albany, the capital reform process. Right. The fact that we can't do things that are just standard in the private sector, you know, design build, progressive design build, it's cheaper, it's faster, it's 
it makes sense uh, and that we are really struggling to kind of get the ability to do that in government so that housing, parks, everything is just cheaper and faster. Uh, we really, really need these things to happen. And so we'll continue to try to be innovative, but we really need these legislative changes in order to make a really big and lasting difference. Exactly. And I will say, the city, yes, you know, you've taken on some of the, like, minutia stuff that really stops things from happening that might not be sexy. So I, I applaud that. But you're, as you know, you don't lift the far cap. You can do this stuff. And if you don't have an incentive, you don't have the capacity, and the numbers won't work. Right. So keep it up. Speaking of Albany advocacy, we've, you know, like many budgets, it giveth and taketh away. Mm. Um, so MTA, 500 million. What hasn't gotten as much attention is the push down reversing part of one of Albany's great fiscal um, you know, uh, motions in, in the last 15 years to cap the local share of um, local spending on, local spending on, sorry, I was uh, distracted. <laughs> if it was me, I should stop it. You know, we all look in our pockets. Um, the local share of, of Medicaid, yes. which is another, I think, 343, whatever Jacques says it is. I, yeah. I'll, I'll trust him. Um, how's that going in Albany where, where the clock is ticking? We don't think the clock will tick by Saturday. but. Um, right. How's it going? Because those, we talked about a $12 billion gap, and you're right, I didn't include those, or the fact that, speaking of giveth, a, a billion dollars for asylum seekers, but you think it's 4.2 billion. Right, so yeah, I mean, the governor's budget had a billion dollars for asylum seekers and took away a billion dollars for in the, the way that you just note, noted, right? So that was very tough. Um, and what we're really happy about is that the, the legislator in their one house bills uh, said, that is not workable and it's not fair, right? We give the MTA $2.4 billion already. And, um, and as you said, the, the Medicare um, reductions just were just nonsensical. No other you know, municipality was, was faced with that. So, I mean, you know, we're down to the wire. Uh, we've been in constant conversation with the legislator, with the leader, with the speaker, with the governor, the mayor, myself, the senior leaders. We have a wonderful intergovernmental affairs team led by Tiffany Raspberry. So we've been we've it's it's we've been all out on the on the mat uh, here till till the end. And I think we will we'll land in an, in an okay place. I, I think that um, we don't think some of the worst. Uh, outcomes will be realized and that we will be, people are really working hard to make sure that we get what we need. We are the economic engine of the state. So we really have to, uh, and with all those challenges that you mentioned, we really need to be in this together. Yeah, no, you put the brakes on the engine, the whole train slows down. That's right. Speaking of housing, I do want to acknowledge, I think I saw two authors of a daily news op-ed today about, about housing in, in New York um, who are here today. You should, you should read that, a, a great piece. Uh, Richard, did I see Jamie here too? Re read that piece in support mm -hmm. of, of the housing agenda. Yes. Um, a who's who of, of authorship in the daily news, a, a good piece. Let's talk a little about specific. Who are the authors? I can't name them all, but Richard, were you and Jamie on, on that? <laughs> Richard Roberts and Jamie Rubin, Vicky Bean, uh, Louise Carroll, um, Raphael, 
It was Sean was there. No, it was, it was great. It was it, great. And that's what we need. We need that continued advocacy and push. I mean, you guys, you know, no offense to some of us who are like kibitzing on the side. You've been there. You've done it. It was a great, a, a really important, powerful piece. So thank, thank yes, you. Thank you. So speaking of our quality of life, mm -hmm. lumping together homelessness, mental health, and substance misuse. When people describe that as quality of life, they often talk about the public who are affected day to day by people who are generally suffering more than them, but the real quality of life problems is people who are unhoused or have a mental health problem or right. substance use problem. Can you share a little about what you're doing and how you're measuring progress on that? No, absolutely, and I'm, I'm really grateful uh, that our health commissioner, uh, his expertise is in mental health and in severe mental illness. Um, because it's so important, the vision that he's put out, as well as the steps that we're taking. So we just released a couple of weeks ago our mental health plan, and it's, there are three parts. The first part is really focused on young people, um, because we know the, the kids are not okay, right? Coming out of COVID, the suicidal ideation, uh, the, all of the kind of depression and mental health issues that we're facing. So and in a really innovative way, looking at telehealth, because uh, that's their digital natives, they're on their phones. So really bringing that care to them. And the other two issues really uh, really are about severe mental health. The, the opioid crisis, it is a crisis. And um, we have really uh, concrete things in there to, to, to reduce harm and death because it is, it's, it's one of the you know, things that are driving down our, our mortality rate in the city. And, and so it's, it's about getting increases to uh, access to uh, care, uh, opioid prevention centers. And then the last is just people with severe mental illness. And this is an area that is particularly important uh, to me personally. My oldest son actually suffers from schizophrenia. And I think we don't think about um, the fact that it's a chronic illness, like you said. I mean, his quality of life. It's not just about when he's in distress, and we definitely need more hospital beds for psychiatric care. Um, it, it, it's, it's, but it's also about, and what the, what it's part of our mental health plan is connection to supportive housing. It's about connections to community care, the clubhouse model, which makes mm -hmm. sure that there's real connection to community to deal with what is a chronic issue. Sometimes you're in crisis, but most of the time you want to be in an, in an environment where you're actually stable and getting your needs met. And so our plan uh, really lays that out. And we've already started kind of implementing it. You know, one of the first things that we wanted to do was the people that were in crisis that we step over every single day who are in pain and in crisis and need care and help, uh, about a 1,000 of those people who ha have accepted care and are getting uh, treatment that they weren't getting before. So it, it is a, it is a, it's a very, very tough issue. And, and I think all of us, I think everyone will know and have somebody in their family or somebody that they know that suffers from it. So it is our collective responsibility as a community to make sure that though the people who suffer from this chronic illness, their quality of life and their outcomes and their opportunities are what they should be. And the mayor got a lot of pushback on, I can't remember which version of. Oh, on everything. This. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, what thing? What wasn't there? And, and he's shy about saying it. Yes. Um, no, no, about about um, people who couldn't take care of themselves on the streets and 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 um, moving them into an inpatient or an evaluation for an inpatient placement. Right. 
is that a place where more data for the public to understand what's going on would be helpful? Um, because you know, you're gonna continue to get episodic cases where people are gonna push back. Is that a place where you can measure that progress, measure what's happening? Because people have said, you get this, well, how many people have you taken away today? That's mm -hmm. not very helpful to the discussion. Right. Is that a place where data can help, yeah, both in public accountability absolutely. and acceptance? And we do, we do have uh, data, and we it is uh, we do communicate it, and and probably need to just tell the story uh, better. But we've actually had, um, I think, there have been some stories about people who have been connected to care, yeah. who were, um, you know, because I think when people are in a, a psychotic um, break and they are living on the street and they're not. Uh, don't have they're not medicated they're not mm -hmm. getting what they need they are not in their right mind and it's it, and it's difficult and once they are connected to care and they can get on the medication or receive the, the care and service that they need that it's very helpful to them it's almost like I think of it as like stepping over somebody that is bleeding on the street and saying well you know and kind of half conscious you know if they um, uh, if, if they say they want me to help them, I'll help them. We got, you know, this is this is about people who are in real distress that really need to be connected to care. I have a lot more questions I love to ask, but so do other people. Mm -hmm. So why don't, I, why don't I stop there and uh, take some questions from our trustees. Um, oh, a note for me. Uh -oh. Are you in trouble? <laughs> oh, no, no. Dick. Dick Ravage. How you doing? Since I, I didn't see you up here, Betsy wanted to make sure. Great to see you. Hello. <laughs> um, he has a question. Do, do you have, if you have a question, you, you get, since now I've called you out, I, 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 the least I could do is uh, offer you the opportunity to ask the first question. I, I'm not clear, this very articulate deputy mayor, but I thought your answer on the question of are you going to come up with a half a million dollars for the MTA? was very evasive. Do you want to tell us a little more about that? Uh, are we going to come up with a half a million, half a billion dollars for the MTA? We, we don't have a half a billion dollars. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, that what, what um, the one house bills uh, that have been presented take that responsibility off of the city, which is what we're hoping where we would land. Thank you, thank you. Okay, good luck. <laughs> we will need it. Um, Zeth. Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor, for your wonderful, uh, encouraging words about the city. Um, it's really great to see you in service. I've, we've known each other for years. Um, my question relates to uh, the city's MWBE program. Um, at the end of February, the Comptroller's Office uh, uh, issued a report that was pretty sobering mm -hmm. in terms of the participation, particularly of uh, minorities, but African-American and black and brown uh, firms in terms of city contracting. Um, I think one thing that's encouraging to me as a leader of an MBE business and as an MWBE advocate is that I see a level of communication between the comptroller's office and the city, similar to uh, the, the improved relationship between the governor's office and the mayor's office as being a very positive thing. Um, but it just, maybe you can speak to 
the, the mayor's uh, office's plans in terms of improving those MWBE numbers. And, and since we're at CBC, how that's a stimulative or good thing for the city overall? You know, I think it is one of the most important things that uh, we will do in this administration. Obviously, uh, this is the second mayor of color in the history of the city of New York. And the numbers that, that came out uh, from the Comptroller are terrible, right? And, and certainly this is what kind of we've inherited. Uh, we have made some significant um, uh, uh, shifts as we move forward. We, we, Michael Gardner has just joined the team who really has done some great work at, you know, at the MTA, at SCA. And we've been advocating and last year and this year to increase the, the cap uh, for discretionary for MWBE to $1.5 million. Uh, we've set a very aggressive goal of $60 billion of awards uh, by 2030 and, and have a plan and a roadmap to achieve it. it you know, it, it, we cannot uh, ever again think of economic growth and not be inclusive, ever. And I think if COVID showed us anything, really ripped the covers back on, on the huge disparities and outcomes uh, on economic mobility, on, on wealth, on, on health, all of the things, um, we, we can't, rising tides don't, don't raise all boats. They do not. And so we are being very focused. We've created for the first time as well a mayor's office of equity that is very looking at the disparities within the disparities. Because as you noted, um, while MWBE numbers might look good when you look at BIPOC entrepreneurs, black and Hispanic in particular, they are not at all representative of, of the population. So we are very, very focused on that and look forward to working with the, the, the broader community of BIPOC entrepreneurs to really move the needle. Thank you, thank you. I, you know, I was talking to William about this and I'm gonna transition this because I didn't get to it. So you hosted, is it the mayor's office of community and ethnic media? What's it called? Yes. I'm getting yes, wrong. That's it. a discussion and it reflected also the Times discussion about the decline in black families in yes. New York were obviously concerned about out migration. And I was talking to William. William, wh why, don't you, why don't you pick up on this? Thanks, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. So it's, it's troubling, to say, the, to say the least, especially given the goal that you've set out for inclusive economic growth um, for our city that we're, we're seeing the departure of two key populations, high-income earners and uh, the middle class, particularly the black middle class. And would love for you to kind of unpack that a little bit. Part of it clearly is about affordability, at least for the middle class, um, but it seems like there's, there's more here, and I'd love to know um, how you guys are thinking about this. Yeah, I think, you know, some of the core issues, uh, particularly that impact uh, middle class, you know, working New Yorkers uh, and concerns are our are, are priorities. Public safety is, is certainly one of them. Uh, the cost of housing, right, has is, is been a, a significant uh, driver of what, as well of out-migration and just economic opportunity uh, and economic mobility. So, you know, I, I talked a bit about, um, you know, many of the things that we're trying to push to increase the uh, supply of housing 
at all levels. So, you know, low-income housing, middle-income housing, you know, home ownership, uh, that's a big a priority of the administration. We need the partnership of, of the state in order to achieve the bold goals that we've set forth, uh, but also that access to opportunity. I mean, one of the things that we're also pushing in Albany is community hiring. Uh, we want to make sure and ensure that we can hire New Yorkers for using our own procurement uh, of, our, of our, you know, $60 billion of procurement that we do every year, as well as, so it really marries what we're doing uh, with the MWBE as well. But we are being, again, looking at the data, looking very specifically, particularly there were, I think, 200,000 black New Yorkers that left the city. Um, and, uh, and then, obviously, were the highest uh, percentage of New Yorkers who died in COVID. Um, and as, for, as black women, um, the nine times more likely to die in childbirth and one of the highest infant mortalities, we are zeroing in on those things that are just off the page as it relates to specific communities. Um, so we have a, a black uh, morta ma maternal mortality, infant mortality focus as well. We've already hired, um, you know, uh, and, and, and are touching thousands of women with doulas. So we are very, very focused on those disparities and those uh, particular challenges because um, they have not been uh, really zeroed in on uh, in, in, in really significant ways to stem the tide that we have seen. And if I may take whatever this chair's prerogative is, mm -hmm. um, William also talked about you know high-income earners. Yes. And you know we're doing a lot of work on uh, the association between high taxes and and what that means for resident and business migration. Um, but we are chipping away at the foundation. Does the administration have a point of view about the proposals in Albany to raise taxes? Um, there's a big push on personal income tax. We're already the highest in the nation. And there's a push by others to extend the business tax surcharge and might tie that to the MTA. Is there a position on that? Because we're very concerned because if we're chipping away at the foundation, you know, we need all different New Yorkers of all different stripes, including those who disproportionately pay more of our taxes to fund our schools, transportation, public safety, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, the mayor talks all the time about how, you know, I think the numbers, and you'll know it better than I do, if 50% of our taxes are paid by what the top 2% of earners or something like that. I'm going to get the number wrong, so I'll, I'll yeah. leave that wrong. But something if, like that. If she's, if she's wrong, it's all attributable That's right, to me because I didn't, I didn't correct it. it. Thank yeah. you. And, and, and so it's, it's significant, and it yeah. is significant. And I think that um, another thing certainly that I think uh, for, for middle-income families and, and higher-income families, you have to have good educational institutions as well. And we really are transforming New York City public schools. But for, for the high-income earners, um, you know, Albany's got to make their kind of decisions and do their deliberations as it relates to taxes. You know, we don't have that authority uh, to do that, but it is a balance. It is a balance, and and there's uh, there's competition right out there. Although we know New York City is just the best place to be, it's kind of unparalleled in so many ways. Uh, why would you want to live anywhere else? Uh, there, there are things that, that have to be taken into account. But, you know, our city has evolved, right, for hundreds of years. There have been inflows and outflows, uh, changing demographics. Uh, we are an extremely resilient city, a resilient place. We're coming out of a once-in-a-generation pandemic, global pandemic. 
Uh, and, I, and I really feel and see, when I think about the 1918 flu pandemic, mm -hmm. you had the roaring 20s. Like, we, we need to harness, um, particularly c this spring, I feel like we're really coming out of hibernation, right? We've got to harness Look at all the, people here. the energy. Look at all the people here. And, and I, I say this all the time. We have just the preponderance of brilliance, um, energy, innovation in the city is unparalleled. And, and we need to harness that and, and push forward so that we can create, just like I, I just think about the, what New York City can be fully realized, really inclusive and equitable and prosperous, we can create that uh, with what we have. And, and so we're very much leaning into that. So I was right in the introduction that I can't just focus on the negative because you'd be like, hey, hold on, <laughs> on, a, on a second. So I won't mention what happened after the Roaring Twenties. But I'm always accused. Oh, well, yeah, uh, not no. <laughs> Sorry. We learned you know, that lesson. We were, we were founded 30. in 1932. Yes, I can't, I I can't know, help. I, I, I feel it. Thanks a lot, I'm, Andrew. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am always 20. accused of, of only picking people in front, and it's about my eyesight. And I will get new glasses this summer. But I saw Margot's hand up. Um, during the pandemic, of course. Um, first, I want to thank you, First Deputy, for the announcement that you and Mayor Adams and CTO Frazier made last week about expanding uh, Big Apple Connect to NYCHA so that in-home broadband internet access is available to those who need it most and so that it remains affordable for the next five years. Um, of course, the corollary to that we've discovered since the pandemic has been winding down is that people need reliable digital connectivity, not just in their homes, um, but while they are transiting around the city, because to a degree surprising to none of us, New Yorkers are always on the go. And yet, we've seen that the mobile telecom carriers are having difficulty in expanding mobile telecom carriage to New York City, and 5G in particular has been very difficult to roll out. And so I wonder what other partnerships and other investments you think the city should be making to ensure that the digital divide persists, does not persist throughout the city, um, and in terms of what else we can do to help make sure that New York remains at the forefront of innovation. Thank you so much for that question. And yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, I feel like we missed that announcement last week. As I said, NYCHA is, would be the 33rd largest city in the country and literally was in the dark, right? There was a, a digital divide. 40% um, of, of residents there did not have access to high-speed internet, 40%. And so what we did in just 15 months is basically give the city of Boston access to uh, you know, internet and basic to cable. Like the light switch went on. And that is big, that is significant, that's important. Uh, their ability to get you know, access job opportunities for young people to, to do school. You know, we had a Harold shutdown. To, get on the internet and, and research something. It's, so it's really, really, really significant and is a priority of this administration. I was joking with the mayor that, you know, he actually started his career as a computer programmer working for the NYPD. So technology is a big, big deal. Uh, our, our chief technology officer, Frazier, is phenomenal. Uh, he spearheaded that effort and got it done in 15 months. It wasn't, you know, just a plan, like there have been some other plans around this. And the 5G expansion, is actually happening now, it's in the works. I actually live in Harlem. 
where my you know access is trash. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, when is it coming? You know, why need that tower? Some neighborhoods, you know, don't like it. It's not pretty. Well, we got some people in right, the room. Exactly. We, we can hook you up. Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, now, listen, I've got every kind of router, every, <laughs> every. And, and it, it, it is, and it is a diff difficult to do, um, but uh, we, there is a plan to do it. It is rolling out. C.T. Frazier um, uh, is, is making it happen, and so we're very excited about that. Thank you, and I think we have time for one more. Paula, did you say, or am I, am I moving? Cause, okay, sorry. Um, I'm very curious about what you're doing to bring in top leaders in the city to help move the city forward. Have you harnessed, and how do we harness all the heads of corporations and banks and hedge funds? You know, this is a city with a lot of money and a lot of, as we've talked about, big income disparities. What can we do to get these people motivated and help us move forward in the way that we did during the fiscal crisis? Now, obviously, that was a different time, but mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot to harness, and we ought to take advantage of it, and now is the time. No, thank you. thank you so much. And that kind of engagement and partnership is absolutely critical. So uh, Rob Spire, uh, who I don't think is here this morning, but he is one of the co-chairs of the, of the Mayor's Fund, which really helps not just in terms of resources, but really thought partnership and thought leadership. We've had lots of amazing partnerships with the partnership and Kathy Wilde, the We Love New York that just came out uh, was a pro bono uh, effort by WPP and many people coming together to think about what can we do. Um, we're looking at, uh, we partnered with some law firms, our chief counsel, uh, Brendan McGuire, created a, a program where um, several firms have kind of seconded uh, a lawyer to work with us. And so it's, it's, it's not just a pro bono project, but it's like a fellowship, which it's a really wonderful opportunity. And we're always looking for ways to do that. There are a lot of amazing institutions uh, uh, in the city of people, whether it's the Women's Forum, as I talked about the partnership and others. And so we are really looking at strategic partnerships. My colleague, Megan Brown, who is here, is really helping to lead that those efforts and make those connections as well. Can you raise your hands well. so people yes. can see you? So, Megan's wonderful. Yes. So, I, and I love that because there is a place, uh, you know, there are boards and commissions that are real working boards and commissions that we need people to roll up their sleeves and lean into uh, as well across the city. And so if you, if you, if you, if people have the time and the energy and the inclination, uh, we have a spot for you. As you know, there are a lot of questions here and thank you for being so open and staying through this. And we, as Citizens Budget Commission, it is the commission, our trustees, we're always here to help and talk. Sometimes we'll disagree, yeah. um, and but always here to roll up our sleeves as are it, us as individuals. So anytime you want to call on us, we've got plenty of opinions, but plenty, even more importantly, expertise, and even more and more importantly, passion for the future of this city and this state. So thank you very much for your thank service you so and for much. being here Thank tonight. you so much. Thank you so much.